welcome back to the green light. Green light. All right. Okay. Hey there, it's Jackson here. All right, it's Lauren as well. <laughs> and what do we do on this podcast, Lauren? Well, if you're new here, we record. <laughs> Sorry, wow. I forgot what wow. we did for a second. Um, <laughs> we read unproduced plays and screenplays and interview the writers. What we do on this podcast is have really long intros and then forget what we do. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much par for the course. So if you don't enjoy that, you might want to click off right now. But if you do, thank you for staying. Yeah, and we really appreciate it. We'll this have a good like time a, either a way. film kind of deal. We talk about yep. that kind of stuff. Yep, we, we do enjoy in both of those things. L.A., uh, yeah. Which is having another COVID spike. So yeah, true. We actually just got a we just got a public safety alert. Yeah, yeah. From just the before city. recording this, stay yep. inside, wear your mask, all that good stuff. Yeah, but luckily, we always work from home. So well, <laughs> you well with this podcast, this podcast. <laughs> my we my job that I use to make money is not from home, unfortunately. But, but this is. If you want us to make money from this podcast, oh, that's a good what one. can they do, Lauren? Well, we do have a Patreon you that the has people. all kinds of bonus content for this show. We are going to be putting up some bonus content for our other show, Who Is That? The Mass Singer podcast, pretty yes. soon on the same Patreon. So, yeah. um, so you know, if you're interested in The Mass Singer as well, you will be getting some extra stuff, some extra bang for your buck. Yes, you will. Uh, from that pretty soon. But yeah. yeah, we have lots of bonus content. We do a green lit episode every month. Super fun. We do a road trip once in a while so we've done one so far we're doing another one uh in december and uh, we sometimes post ramble episodes extra detours stuff like that so we, there's plenty of content for you to peruse so and content. enjoy and it's on... as low as a dollar a month it is so it sure is yeah it and sure you know is. at like the um i think it's the 20 or 25 dollar level it's the the green beam yes. um we will give you a shout out, but at this point, because we don't have that many patrons, we are shouting out everyone. So yeah, yeah, we'll give you a shout out no matter what level it is. Yes, at, at this point, if you if you <laughs> give us a dollar, we will shout we'll be you like, out. Wow. Yes, exactly. Also, Speaking follow of us. Shout outs. Oh. Uh, we got a new iTunes review. Yes, we did. So, so we like to, you know, especially because we don't have a ton of those iTunes reviews. <laughs> we like to uh, call people out when they give us one, give them a nice big thank you. So this person. I have no idea who it is. However, I think they initially found us through our through other our podcast, podcast, the Mass Singer podcast. And they reviewed that one, which was very nice. They did. And, uh, they, did. they reviewed yes. this one as well. Yes. And they said, this is a really good podcast. So, MJC Poop Emoji, thank you so much. We appreciate you. <laughs> we appreciate you greatly. Yeah. And I, I, can we sweep the rest under the rug? Sweep all that housekeeping under the rug, Lauren? I think Lauren? so. Just... <laughs> Yes, right. wow. What a start we've had. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I feel like I'm on another planet right now. I don't know why, but I, my my soul has left my body and I'm just looking down <laughs> on us. It's like, Jackson, say something that's not stupid. Too late. Wow. <laughs> Too late. So what are we reading this week, Jackson? We are reading After Aulis by Ali Cantor. So Ali, this script is great. The script is I, great. And our interview is really awesome, too. Yes. So definitely stay tuned for we that. We actually, we're doing something strange in which we're recording the interview before we record the script. Normally, we don't do that, but 
No, sorry. We the were intro recording the, the we intro. We usually do the interview before the script. God, I am really out of it today. I, I Once again, I'm like 10 feet in the air, <laughs> just looking down on me. But yes, uh, so we haven't done the script yet, but I'm super excited because it's such a good script. Uh, yeah. a, a great two-hander, if you will, for, for Lauren and I. So yeah. we're super pumped about that. And it's like mythology-centric. Yes, it so is. So that's exciting. So if you like mythology, you will like this script. And really, if you just like good plays, you'll yeah. like the script, I would argue personally but yeah so that's what we're doing this week but before we get into that before we get into the main portion of our show we're gonna do a little talking about something something we've seen in the past week do do a little segment we like to call our detours of the week beep 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 all right so uh both of the movies we're gonna talk about are fairly new one of them is very new um, and yes. we both saw both of them, so yes. we'll kind of tag team these. Yes. Okay. Pick a pick a number one or two. Two. All right. We're talking about Black Christmas first. Okay. <laughs> All right. So Black Christmas, we just recently watched. It is a 2019 movie. It's actually a remake of the original Black Christmas. Yes. Um. So. Here's the spiel. A group of female students are stalked by a stranger during their Christmas break. That is until the young sorority pledges discover that the killer is part of an underground college conspiracy. Yeah. Yeah. So basically there's, you know, this, this sorority and, um, they kind of do, uh, they kind of do a song to the tune of, um, 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 uh, up on the housetop. Up oh on my the gosh! Top. Yes, I was. I was thinking Jingle one. Bell Rock because they were dressed like the girls from Mean Girls when they did Jingle Bell Rock, but it was not. Yes. Um. Anyway, they did that, but they kind of changed the lyrics, so it was making fun of the fraternity and specifically their um history of sexual assault. Yes. Basically, uh, from mm-hmm. the fraternity. Fraternity did not like that. Turns out they do all kinds of culty ritual things where um they. Send their pledges to go murder women with superhuman strength from the founder of the school. Yeah. So that's basically the gist. The sorority girls fight back. <laughs> that it's pretty is good. the gist. Um, this is a Christmas horror movie. Yeah. So we, we thought it would be the perfect time to do this because yeah. Halloween just ended. Christmas season is just beginning. So yeah. what what better time to watch a, a Christmas horror movie than right now? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it isn't like, you know, super Christmas centric. It's more yeah. of just like there's snow on the ground. There are decorations. There's yeah, a Christmas yeah, yeah, yeah. party. Th- there are a couple things that i'd yeah. like to talk about but before we 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 do those things what did you think of this overall lauren i enjoyed it i thought it was a solid like 7.5 out of 10 oh wow okay that's pretty high yeah 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 i thought it was pretty good you know i thought i mean like yes it was a little bit on the nose which i think were where some people some people in our house you know that was kind of their main complaint yeah um but at the same time it's just this is a remake, like we said, and mm-hmm. they fight back a lot more than they do in the original. Because the original is basically, it's not about addressing rape culture or anything like that. It's yeah. just about killing a bunch of sorority girls. Sure. You know, and then mm-hmm. them, like, looking dumb and not knowing what to do. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so this one I thought was a lot better for that reason. And, yeah, I thought it was pretty solid. Interesting. So, uh, yes, I, I, w- I would echo a lot of those sentiments. I would say probably... Probably the the weakest aspect of the film was that it was it was very heavy handed, kind of hit you over the head a couple of times, but yeah. with messages that you need to hear. So, uh, anyways, there's also a 2006 remake of Black Christmas. Oh, really? Which I did not know about. Yeah, uh, I'm looking on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes right now, which is part of the reason one of the things I wanted to talk about is on Rotten Tomatoes. 
The critic score is 38%, which granted, I can I can kind of understand that. You know, this isn't necessarily a, a, a movie that critics, I think, would love. Sure. But the audience score is 31%. And on IMDb... Which I don't understand. Well, and on IMDb, it's a 3.3 out of 10. Now... So overall, a pretty low-rated movie. But again, it wasn't even movie. just like a movie I enjoyed because it was bad. Like, I thought it was actually pretty good. Here is what I... One of my theories, and you tell me if you if you agree with this, I feel like a lot of those lower views are probably people people being like, oh man, this message is ridiculous. This is painting all frat boys the same, yada, 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 yada. Oh, I'm sure that's it. Yeah. yeah. So, so well, I, I just wondered to, what you thought about that. You know, that. there are, um, there is a moment pretty early in the script at a Christmas party where, you know, I mean, it talks about how the main girl um, was raped by the president of a fraternity. Yeah. Um, and then she is at this party and she sees her friend who is drunk being like, maybe not 100%, you know, like not not what you think of in the cookie cutter version of a super aggressive sexual assault or a rape, but definitely yeah. being coerced. Yeah, you know, for sure. Definitely being taken advantage of because she is inebriated. She did not give full, uh, full consent for sure. Right. And, you know, so I could see there being some bad reviews just because a lot of people are, there are a lot of people who are just like, oh, well, that's not sexual assault. Mur, mur, mur. She was drunk. She didn't say no. She just said, wait, you know, yeah. like. So, and and yeah. to those people, I say, you need to take a little lesson on consent. You need to reevaluate yourself, yes, yes. your whole self, and, and, and before you are around women no, ever again. I mean, <laughs> you say that as a joke, but like... No, no, I'm not saying it as a joke. Truthfully. <laughs> and like, I, I, I think it's... it's, it's while it is a bit heavy-handed at times, it, it it drives across a good point. Yeah. And I mean, I thought the I thought the action sequences were fun. I thought there yeah, were some I good agree. there were some fun deaths in it. Like I I personally would probably give this more like a six out of ten or something like that. And that's fair. But I can I, understand that. Yeah, I definitely don't think it deserves like a three point three out of ten. I I would be willing to bet there's a lot of disgruntled people who just yeah. don't like how mm, men. Woke this film is. Yeah. yeah. But overall, it's a decent watch. It is a Christmas horror film. So once again, kind of the perfect time to watch something yeah. like this uh and it's especially fun with a group of friends yeah i think i agree and it's not like super duper gory you know yeah no yeah i, I there, there are a few there's deaths. a little bit there's a little bit but it's not like well i don't just mean in terms of people dying i just mean that like you don't see any a lot of super ridiculous like you know knives going through skin kind yeah. of that kind of deal yeah um for sure yeah anyway yeah uh yeah i enjoyed this movie go watch it not family friendly, but it is PG thirteen. That's true. Yeah. So, it, <laughs> so you're right. It really can't be that. <laughs> the 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 gore can't be that bad for a PG thirteen. Yeah. Movie, there so. are also definitely a couple of language things that you could tell oh they changed gosh. to make PG thirteen. So funny. <laughs> Tr- trust us. Watch the movie, and you will know one moment in specific. Yeah. That you, you will know exactly. We don't want to say we it, about. but you will know exactly yeah. <laughs> what we were talking about. It anyway. is so funny. Uh, we, we were saying that for about uh, hours after the film was over, but. Uh, is that all you have to say about Black Christmas? That's all I have. Check it Alrighty. out. Alrighty. Black Christmas on HBO Max? That sounds right. Is that way we watched it on? Or was it Hulu? It was HBO. It was HBO. 100%. It was, H- it was yes. HBO. Lauren is locking it in as yeah. HBO. No, I just remember because that night we were trying to figure out what to watch. And I was like, we don't usually browse on HBO. Let me do that. And Lauren Boom. did it. And we found Black Christmas. So last night, we were also looking for something to watch. And one of our housemates suggested a movie that was actually... Released on October 23rd, so only about two weeks ago. Yeah. You might know what we're talking about. It, it's, it's, it was a, a, a popular one when it came out. Borat Subsequent Movie Film. 
Yes. This is the follow-up to 2006's Borat, starring Sasha Baron Cohen and um, Sasha, 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 what now? Sasha Baron Cohen. <laughs> sorry, and Maria Bakalova. And those are pretty much the two consistent characters you yeah. get throughout. And a lot of the people in this movie are not actors, which is important. Correct. Yes. So uh, basically, this is a follow-up to the to the original Borat, centering on the real-life adventures of a fictional Kazakh television journalist named Borat. So essentially, one of our housemates described it as, and I think this is pretty apt. This is like sort of like a political jackass, if you will. It is. It is very much uh, Sasha Baron Cohen as playing this character of Borat and. Going into real life, interacting with real people, and just seeing what he can get out of them. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, yeah, Do you have literally. Have a, a better description for that, Lauren? Um, well, no, I mean, that's pretty much it. So he, um, basically, the leader of Kazakhstan is upset because, um, Trump is inviting all of these dictators and wannabe dictators into his inner circle. Yes. And, um, he has not been invited. So. Correct. He gets Borat to go and deliver a gift to not Trump, but Michael Pence. Yes. Um, which is a monkey. Mm-hmm. But we find out pretty early in the movie when he gets to the U.S. that the monkey has been delivered at a crate and his daughter snuck into it and ate the monkey. Yes. So correct. he decides to give his daughter to Mike Pence instead. This is really, yeah, this is really, <laughs> at its core, a father-daughter story, Lauren. I agree. No, I, you're joking, but <laughs> I, I agree. No, I mean, I mean, it, it truly is. That's that's sort of the, the, the loose narrative that surrounds it is, is Sasha Baron Cohen learning to be a father, Borat learning to be a father to his to his young daughter who is technically, I think, 15 in this movie, but the actress playing her is in her early 20s. Yeah. So there are some situations. You might have... I I saw it at least on Twitter when this movie first came out about the whole scene with Rudy Giuliani. Um, This man got exposed in this movie. He really did. And and most people did who were in this movie. I mean, yeah, but he's the only really famous one. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Um... A, a, a couple things that I wanna I wanna med- talk about this movie. Now, I think this movie, I think this movie is important to see, and I think if you've seen the first Borat, you know what you're getting into. If you haven't seen the first Borat, you don't need to. I see did the not know first what I was Borat. getting into. Well, I didn't. I didn't understand all the reactions that people were having. Yeah, you know, to to seeing the movie and seeing like the the guy at the post office or whatever not really reacting when yeah. you know he faxed something crazy to the leader of Kazakhstan you yeah. know but then i didn't realize that these people weren't actors yeah no that there, they were going up to there are some moments in this film that will make you viscerally uncomfortable yeah like in like you will look away from the tv because you were so viscerally uncomfortable yeah but it does sort of expose the folly of man if you will is is kind of <laughs> what this movie yeah. it, it the does. folly of Republicans, if yeah. you will. Yeah, and I mean, there are some genuinely funny moments. And and another thing that I want to talk about is sort of something that uh, I think I talked about with Will, actually. But some of the strongest moments to me in this film are where you actually see the bright sides of humanity. There is yeah. there is a part of the movie where Borat sort of drops his daughter off uh, with at a someone babysitter. with a babysitter. And Even you, though she's supposed to be 15. Correct. And and uh, th- this woman is just has the kindest soul and just really wants the best for Borat's daughter. And, well, and she really just takes in all of this ridiculous information, you know, from yeah. like the, there's a manual on, you know, owning daughters or yeah, whatever that yeah, gets like tough. passed around the whole movie yeah 
And um, so she sees that and kind of takes it in, you know, takes her in all the crazy things she's saying and just responds with, yeah, so much kindness, so much just, you know, trying to get her to love herself and move past this. You know, I was like, wow, there was also um, so at one point, oh, my gosh, Borat decides he's going to commit suicide by going into a synagogue and waiting for the next shooting. Yeah. Um, And yes. And he says, I'm going to disguise myself as a Jew. And he goes in in this like horrible devil costume with a giant nose and like a bag of money. Horrifically stereotypical. Very offensive. Yes, very offensive. Yes. And there are these two older Jewish ladies in the synagogue who are just so kind to him like i can't imagine being in that situation yeah you know and i feel like i would throw something at him if yeah. that was me but they were very very patient very with him. very very patient very very kind and th- once again those are some of the strongest moments for yeah. me is where you sort of get to see see the the bright parts of humanity as opposed to just the folly yeah um uh not everyone is gonna like this movie there yeah. are gonna be some people who hate this movie if you voted for Trump, you probably won't like this movie. Well, yeah, uh, uh, certain, <laughs> certainly at least that percentage of the population will not. Because, and uh, it's very current. It talks about very current issues. Well, yeah, it, like COVID literally is literally filming on. during COVID. Yeah. So, like, you know, it, it, this is one that if you were going to see, it would probably be best to watch now, I think. Yeah. Just because of, of, of how current it is. But, you know, consider the mindset you're in right now and from what we've said and think, am I going to enjoy this movie right yes. now? Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know? And and de- definitely think about that. Once again, if you've seen any of Sasha Baron Cohen's movies before, Sasha Baron Cohen, sorry, I'm <laughs> I was I'm trying to be nice and not say it again. <laughs> I knew you were going to say something, so that's why I corrected myself. But the, you will know what to expect if you seen any of his other movies because yeah. it, ha- it has a very similar tone a very similar vibe um uh, one more thing that i want to say about this movie uh maria bakalova his daughter i think is gonna be a star yeah i really she think was she, she was really good she was really funny she was she was excellent but you know also had some very genuine moments yeah i i saw actually today i think that she got signed by caa Oh, so, nice. And, I feel like I saw that, too. Yeah. So for, for those of you who don't know, we know because we're actors living in Los Angeles. But CAA is one of the biggest agencies for not just actors, but talent, musicians. It, yeah. So one of everything. the biggest talent agencies, yeah. if not the biggest uh, and most well-respected. So good for her. Once again, I feel like you're going to see her in a lot of things coming up. So, oh, yeah. so get used to that name. Uh, it, it's actually really cool. Uh, an, another thing, uh, we were we were watching the movie and we're like, they're, they're supposedly speaking to each other in... Uh, uh, and, and Kazakh, I guess, is the, the language. I don't know what they speak in Kazakhstan. But we were like, we aren't sure. We didn't think they were fluent in, in that language. And so we looked it up. They're actually speaking to each other in fluent Hebrew. Yeah. Sasha Baron Cohen and Maria Bakalova. So that's kind of cool. Cool thing about her. Cool thing yeah. about him. They're both fluent in Hebrew. So well, because I truly wasn't sure... Um... I truly wasn't sure just because they are both very funny people if it was like a gibberish just language. Just a made up language, you yeah. know. But no, it was it was actually Hebrew, which I think is is pretty cool. Yeah. So, is that all you have to say about Borat's subsequent movie film? Um, or? that is all I have to say. Yeah. That one is on Amazon Prime for free if you have Prime. So, once again, take a gander if you feel like you are in the right mindset, if you enjoy uh Sasha Baron Cohen's work. I think I think a lot of his work is something that a lot of people can appreciate, but not everyone enjoys. Yeah. So if, if you're fine just hearing us talk about it, that's all right, too. But if, if you if you feel like you need to watch it, it is on Amazon Prime for you just waiting on you. Yeah. 
Oh, and I will say also, I did not see the first Borat movie. And you aside from not knowing that, you know, there were people who weren't actors in this, yeah. um, you don't really need to. Yeah, yeah for sure. Anyway. Okay, coming up next. Yeah, so when we come back, we will be reading our script of the week. After, After All This by Ali Cantor. See you soon. See you soon. Everybody, welcome back. Green light. It's just us today. It is just us. You just heard us, and we are sitting in the same exact spots. Yep. At roughly like the two same minutes exact later. time. Yeah. <laughs> as as you just heard us. Uh, this so the play we are reading today, after Alice by Ali Cantor. We're both so excited for yeah. it, but has very few stage directions. So you will hear both Lauren and I take them, but we think we have set it up so that it is pretty clear uh, when what it is they stage are. directions versus characters versus us yes so there's going to be a brief moment at the beginning where i do the stage directions and then lauren has two in the middle sort of that are in the middle of my lines so we hope you get it we didn't want to ask somebody to come sit here just to read like a few words exactly yeah we are fairly capable people able to read a couple words ourselves we (laughs) hope and think after 28 episodes all right of this year wow 28 episodes yeah we we forgot to talk in the intro about how we had like our six month anniversary but a couple episodes ago episode 26 we might we might do something else for that maybe <laughs> maybe at some point i don't know uh. <laughs> we'll figure it out we will figure it out that that scans right well yeah because 26 weeks is half of 52 yeah which is it's not which like an year. even you know just because months are different lengths yeah i don't sure. think it's like quite even six months yeah. but it is half a year yeah totally 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 totally, totally. okay totally. sweet well i guess without further ado len let's then Let's hop into it. This right. is After Allis, a 10-minute play by Ali Cantor. I will be reading for Achilles. Actually, you go first. Sorry. Okay. I will be reading for Iphigenia, eternally young female, a priestess of Artemis. And I will be reading for Achilles, slightly older, male, a fallen hero of the Trojan War. Time. After the end of the Trojan War and the death of Achilles. Place. The underworld of Greek mythology. Synopsis. Many years after their fateful and unfortunate meeting at Aulis, the war hero Achilles and his almost bride Iphigenia are reunited in the underworld, where their roles before the war have been reversed, and they discuss what it truly means to be immortal. After Aulis. Iphigenia looks around. She's trying to be subtle. She accidentally locks eyes with Achilles offstage. She tries to look away, deny it, but it's too late. She's been spotted. Oh, gods. Hey! Hey! Don't I know you? Oh, you look so familiar. I'm racking my brain right now. No, don't tell me. Don't tell me. God, it's on the tip of my tongue. Oh, man. I'm blanking. I'm completely blanking. This is so embarrassing. Hey, Achilles. It's been a long time. I know that face. I know that face anywhere. You know what's throwing me off? You're so young. How long ago were you talking here? Uh, start of the war. Start of the war. Start of the war. Oh, this is killing me. Iphigenia. Iphigenia. Wait, really? Agamemnon's daughter? You look great. Really? Thanks. I can't believe we haven't run into each other until now. Oh, the underworld's a big place. I'm just visiting, actually. I'm here on an errand. No kidding. Maybe I'm... Maybe I'm misremembering, but... Weren't you sacrificed? Oh, um... Artemis spared my life, actually. I've been serving as her priestess. What?! Congratulations! Man, I still remember that day. 
That was incredible. So you're immortal now? Uh, yeah. I handle sacrifices, mostly, and the occasional trip to the underworld. Good for you. That's great. I'm so happy for you. I'm sorry. I, I heard about what happened to you. I know it must be awkward. I wasn't going to bring it up. Nah, it's, it's fine. It's fine. They got me fair and square. This is... This is going to sound bizarre, but... What? Could I see it? The spot? I know it's weird, but it's kind of legendary, even on Olympus. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, would have seen a lot more than my foot if the marriage had been legit, if you know what I'm saying. Huh. Yeah. I think about that sometimes, you know? Achilles begins removing his sandal. How you walked right up to the altar to be sacrificed. How you wanted your death to mean something to the world. That was awesome. You might be the only one who actually remembers. What do you mean? Not sure if you heard anything about what happened to my family. Ah! Behold! Achilles shows off his heel. It's not much to look at. I don't know what I was expecting. My mom did her best. And I can't complain. I died a hero, right? I just wonder... What? What was it like? Getting shot by an arrow? I mean, it wasn't the first time. Yeah, I mean... No, I, I meant dying, actually. I'm just wondering... No, it's stupid. Never mind. No, what? Was it a relief? You know, in some ways, yeah. I never have to wonder if I'd see Patroclus again. Now we have eternity. And in others? It was just unexpected, you know? Like, there was always a possibility, sure, but... I'd be lying if I said it didn't catch me off guard. I had a lot of battles still in me. Of course you did. The immortal Achilles. I was many things, but never that. Not true. We're in the underworld, are we not? And every shade and every shadow knows your name. Everyone does. Here, in the mortal world, on Olympus. Children born after your death sing songs about your bravery. Takes one to know one, Miss Priestess of Artemis. Hmm? You forget I was mortal once, huh? Funny. A moment ago, you seemed to have a false memory of seeing me sacrificed on our wedding altar. I remember your bravery on that day. I told you that. Sure, but you forgot my name. I didn't. I just didn't recognize you out of context. I'm a fighter, not a scholar. You can't expect me to remember every face I've seen, right? Come on. Sorry. I'm sorry. It's not about you. Not really. What's going on? Let's just say... No one is singing any songs about me. Why? Too many syllables? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Hilarious. Is that it, though? Really? You want fame? I didn't pin you as the type. No, no, definitely not fame. It's it's hard to put my finger on it. It's like, when we were at Aulis, I was ready to die because I was mortal. So I always knew I would, eventually... And to die for the good of the Greek army and my father's reputation and be any part of securing success for our soldiers. You wanted it to mean something. Right. Just like it would have meant something to be the wife of brave Achilles. But we weren't married. And it would have meant something to have been the girl who gave up everything to be the wind that carried that Greek ship to victory. But I didn't die. There was no sacrifice. But that was you up on that altar, wasn't it? <laughs> I'll never forget. Bearing your throat with the laurel in your hair. A bride with fire in her eyes. 
You know, seeing you like that, I think I loved you for a minute. Your reputation would suggest that you've loved a lot of people for a minute. It's not about that. It's about why. Why should I be immortal when there were real heroes stuck here? In my life, immortality always seemed like a gift. Of course it did, to you. Immortality is the sound of your name on the lips of someone who learned it from stories. When the rhapsodes come along and sing of your deeds, you're immortal. You were immortal long before you died. You'll be immortal long after. Admit it. You have a point. So what am I? An exalted priestess of Artemis. A nobody. You can't possibly believe that. Sometimes I do believe it, but then I can't shake the stupid guilt that I don't deserve a gift this precious. Other times I wonder what god I must have wronged to have earned such a curse. I just want to know there's a reason. You want to believe you earned it? I mean, do gods earn their place on Mount Olympus? Did I? You lived up to it. But I had more time than you've had. You're new at this. Cut yourself some slack, priestess. I know. But then, did my time as a mortal matter? I guess. I just want to know that somewhere, at some time, someone will say my name and think of me. It doesn't even need to be with fondness. There must be someone. My family destroyed itself. My father, my mother, my sister, in a way. I had heard something about that. And I don't know if that was the last time someone from my life before spoke my name. Was it in vengeance? And I hate myself for thinking it, but I'm not sure I wouldn't prefer that to the idea that they'd never thought of me at all. Every part of it's so selfish. It clouds my mind. Sometimes I forget my brother lives, but then I think, so what? For how long? I understand. I couldn't fathom a life without Patroclus. In the end, it was the thing that brought me here. The reason we're together. He was waiting for you here. He was. It was incredible. It was the homecoming everyone deserved after the war. No victory could have compared. That's the difference. What? He was waiting for you. He was looking for you. I bet he called for you across the waist the moment you stepped off the boat. He'd only just died, though. I, I died avenging him. He was barely through the threshold himself. You don't understand. To me, that's the gift. Not a mortal life. No heroic stories. Just someone waiting. Hoping you'd come. Maybe I don't understand. Maybe I can't. Thank you for trying. I'm glad we caught up. I'm sure you have a lot of work to do, Priestess. Yeah. What brings you here again? Did you say? I didn't. I... I'm just heading to... Um... Did you forget? I wasn't honest. I'm not here for Artemis. I came on my own. I wanted... I don't know what I wanted. I guess I just hoped I might see a familiar face. But you did. I did. And I saw you. I called to you. Yes. I'm sorry I'm not your father, or your mother, or your batshit little sister. Just some jerk who you almost married once. But I guess it goes to show you that you really don't know who's watching. Remembering. I knew you for one day. One day out of an eternity. And you were effervescent. Imagine what people think who knew you for two. You're really not as awful as people say. I'll take that as a compliment. Of course you will. Why shouldn't I? You have a point. And for what it's worth, I won't forget what you did, Iphigenia. I never have. Do you ever tell the story of that day? The story of King Agamemnon's fearless daughter, as beautiful as she was selfless, hero to the Greeks? 
the one that got away all the time i'll have to adjust the ending now though thank you of course i've got to go i really don't belong here you sure are in a rush for someone who has eternity i'm making up for lost time end of play everybody welcome back to the green light green light we are here with our writer of the week ali cantor how are you doing doing all right how are you guys we're doing we pretty good we are doing well it's a it's a bit of a tough sunday for me my panthers just lost by 2 to the chiefs so you know i'm kind of recovering from that but besides that i'm doing okay <laughs> my condolences yeah thank you thank you we appreciate it by the way where are you in the country by the way ali we always like to ask our guests this I am in New York. I'm on Long Island specifically. Right, that's what Uh, I was thinking. On the county line in between Nassau and Suffolk County. So about 40 minutes from New York City. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. We just had, I think our guest the week before you was from Brooklyn. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of New Yorkers. Yeah, we've had a lot. We've had a lot of New Yorkers, uh, to be fair. A lot of great writers coming out of New York. You know, it's great. A lot of great theater in New York, so it makes sense. Definitely. Exactly. Exactly. Speaking of which... Ali, I'm going to be honest with you, and I, I do say this a lot. I say this a lot, granted, but I loved this script. And this, this is one of those that, like, the second I read it, I was like, I really enjoyed it. So kudos to you for that. We're obviously going to get more into that as we ask questions, but just wanted to say that off the bat. But Oh, thank you so much. Of course, yeah. of course. Um, but let's start off with the classic writer origin story. How did you get started? Sure, I guess. It's not even so much of a story as it is just like the context for who I am as a human being. Mm. And I guess it starts with the fact that in my house growing up, reading was just a non-negotiable thing. (laughs) So the way that we came together every night was we'd always read a book together, probably two or three, to be honest. We'd talk about what we were reading. We revered authors. And it was always, always a thing in my household. And, you know, when you're a child, like, how do you express yourself through play? So... Some kids, they seek power through pretending to be a superhero. Some kids want to dress up as a princess. If you love language and you love words, then you play at being a writer. So from my earliest, earliest days, I was making books. I I considered myself the poet laureate of my elementary school. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, I used to read poems on the morning announcements. That was my first professional acting gig. I guess. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> that is really cool. Oh, nice. Um, and then from there... I guess by the time I was 12 or 13, just in middle school, I don't know, I guess that was a really isolating time in my life and probably in a lot of people's lives, I imagine. Mm, yep. And everybody mm. finds their coping mechanism. And that was the time when I really found writing and collaborative writing specifically. And it was, you know, my lifeline. It was um, something that sustained me and continues to sustain me. And I have now a daily writing habit that started way back then and I'm grateful for it because I feel like I've come a long way since I was, you know, little 12-year-old. <laughs> nice. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and from reading this script, uh, it's 
fantastic, uh, as I already mentioned before. But <laughs> I, I think that's really cool. Not only that your family read books a lot when you were younger and out loud and together, but also sort of talked about them together. I just think yeah. I think that's a really cool. It's like a little family book club. Yeah, kind of exactly. Deal. And I, I think that's that's something a lot of people don't do. So I think that's just a, a really fantastic way, and obviously sparked your love for writing. So super yeah. cool. So and I'm also an elementary school teacher. Oh, cool. So I continue to try to foster that in my students as well, like literature and books and just like a reverence for the written word. It's like such a big deal in my life and all aspects of my life. So Absolutely. That's awesome. I always say I'm a teacher and I'm a storyteller and I'm the happiest when I'm doing both. So I try to do both. Well, that's great. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That I mean, great. I had some elementary school teachers and, you know, elementary school librarians who would always recommend things for me to read. And, you know, that, that really helped me get into reading a lot when I was little. So kudos to you and people like you. Yeah. Um, so I'm a little bit of a Greek mythology nerd, um, just a little bit, maybe not enough to write a play about it. Um, but so obviously this story is directly based on Greek mythology and heroes. So what drew you to writing a story like this? Basically this in particular, this Iphigenia Achilles story, it started with, I guess my fascination with that story and with, you know, the Greek theater interpretation of that story it started when I was in high school I was in a creative writing class and we had these quarterly projects where we had to do like one longer term writing project to submit every quarter of the school year so like I'd already done my like short story collection I'd already done my you know whatever my screenplay whatever it was so I got to the point where the only like genre of writing that was left was like a novel length piece so I started writing the story I was thinking like hmm we have this character Iphigenia, who is, you know, saved from death by this goddess, and she becomes this priestess, and she becomes a mortal, and that sounds like the coolest start to a story ever. Mm -hmm. And I wrote this whole, like, quote-unquote novel-length story that I never actually finished, but when the other students in the class found out that I was writing this long thing, they used me to... Um, try to stall so that they wouldn't have to read their work. <laughs> so every week I'd add more, and every week they'd say, oh, Allie has to read the next chapter of her Iphigenia thing. Oh. <laughs> and that's how they got out of doing their work. So I don't know. I got really deep into it, but I never finished it, and I never really got it to the point where she did anything cool. So gotcha. I feel like I've been stuck at this place since I was like 15, and I'm, I was ready to tell the story in a different way. Absolutely. Sure. So when did you start writing this play specifically? This play I actually started very recently. I always, I start writing like in my head. I'm a hiker, so like I go out a lot into mm. nature, and I just put on headphones. And if I'm listening to a podcast, I do that. Otherwise, I'm just telling stories in my mind pretty much and trying to decide what I'm going to write later. So this one I started writing probably maybe a month ago, just nice. while I was out hiking. I love fall weather, so I've been out a lot recently. Oh, and no. at the point when I felt ready to transcribe it, I sat down and it was probably, you know, a week from there. Nice. Yeah, that, that's, that's a very new piece. Also, just the the how long this story has just been ruminating, not only inside of you, but obviously just like in the well, world in, in, in general. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So just like sort of, you know, how it continues to change and adapt, I think is really cool. Um, also, speaking of fall weather. Amen. It's finally starting getting cold out here in LA, and it is glorious. Yeah, I well, cold is uh, a, a generous term for what it feels like. It's like, it's like 65, <laughs> 70, you know. Uh, it's probably, today, it's probably like 55. 
Uh, anyways. We're actually having unseasonably warm weather here. Today it was like 78 degrees, believe it or oh, not. But wow. it was beautiful, so I was out all day. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally, totally. So anyways, back to the story. So one thing that I really loved about this script is that I feel like it achieves like this really like naturalistic and realistic flow with the dialogue, even though the characters obviously are discussing like these sort of lofty ideas. So is this something that you intentionally try to achieve, or does is, is it something that's just really natural to you when you're writing? I think my goal was definitely to make them very human Mm. because I think that's kind of one of the coolest aspects of Greek mythology is that even the gods are very human and you know, they, they walk around, they're next to you. You never know when you have a God nearby. And obviously I'm retelling this story now. So I want it to be accessible to people who are reading it or performing it or seeing it performed now. So my goal was to definitely bring the humanity into these characters and make them a little more real than they might seem from, you know, a 3,000-year distance. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that was definitely a goal. And also, I think the reason it took me so long to come up with this piece, even though I started playing with these characters, you know, years and years ago, was because I finally figured out what story I wanted to tell with them. Mm. So I almost think, like, the archetypes are more important than the specific characters, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, no, totally. I think that that's also something that's done really well in, you know, the the Lightning Thief series is just this reimagining of, okay, what would this god or goddess or, you know, Greek figure look like in modern times? How would they have evolved? And a lot of times they are a little archetypical, but it, I don't know, it gets the point across in a really great way. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. All right. So Achilles seems to not remember Iphigenia, even though they had a fairly important encounter when they both were alive. So how long has it been since they have seen each other? And is it the time or Achilles' memory or lack thereof that prevents him from remembering her? I think my thought was that Achilles has been very, very busy in his life. Mm-hmm. He has done a lot of things that were like, in anyone else's life would have been like the most horrific heroic thing possible you know Absolutely. like everything that this guy does is like the most important thing if you put it in the context of anybody else's life sure. but for him it's like oh hey it's tuesday you know yeah so like for her this was like the biggest event of her life this was going to be the most important day this was going to be the day that her fate was sealed and you know she became the wife of achilles you know yeah but for him it was like Oh, that was, you know, a couple of days before the war started. Yeah. <laughs> that was just yeah, another Tuesday. It's kind of crazy that, you know, the day he was supposed to get married is just kind of like, eh. <laughs> eh, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just but no, that makes a lot day. of sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I sort of want to go back to what we were talking about just a little bit ago. And so one of the big themes here is the, this confrontation of mortality and the idea of immortality. And we see it in this story through the lens of these like gods and goddesses and heroes, etc. And it takes on like an entirely new meaning. So why did you choose these like larger than life and like sometimes immortal characters to discuss these like very human issues? I know you already touched on it a little bit, but I'd just love to hear more of your thoughts on it. I think sometimes it's easier to hone in on these very vulnerable personal things by going, you know, outward instead of inward, if that makes sense. Like sort of talk about it in a more general way, because that way more people can relate to it. And I'm finding the more plays that I write that people are really 
drawn to vulnerability. If I put something out there that to me seems really personal and feels really personal and I'm thinking in my head, oh, nobody's going to relate to this. Like that's the play that I get a comment about, like I, that could have been taken from my own life. Like <laughs> it's, <laughs> It's surprising me again and again because you hear a lot about vulnerability and acting like that's the most important thing. You need to put yourself out there. You need to be honest and raw. But I never really thought about how vulnerability in writing translates in the same way. If you as the writer tell the story that is important to you, then the reader and the actor, they can pick up on that and they can transform it into meaning in their own context. And I found that that's really cool. And I think that I wanted to play with that when I was writing the play because, you know, we have these archetypes who become human and they take on this story and it it works on two levels then, you know? Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. And like, I think... In a in a similar idea, though it, though it is a little bit different, I think that's why I personally am kind of drawn to like you know comics and and uh, stories of superheroes and things like that because I think in a similar way you have these like you know supernaturally powerful beings who've done incredible things, but even they struggle with very human issues. And, right. And sometimes it is just easier to hear it from like that point of view, whether rather than having to like look at yourself in the mirror and be like, hmm, I don't like what I see, so I'm not going to listen or look you know but instead you can see it from from these larger than life characters you know? yeah well i mean in every superhero story there's always that archetype of you know wanting to save the world the greater good saying oh well maybe if one life has to be sacrificed that's not as bad as all of these people dying but then they always have to go back and save that one person they care about yeah. and sacrifice everything for them mm -hmm. you know so it's it's definitely mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is a vulnerable thing for even these larger-than-life characters. Yeah. So we're actually, uh, sort of a follow-up on this, we're going to hit you with a quote, actually, from your own play, and yeah. then we're going to ask you to talk about it a little bit, if you don't mind. So Lauren's going to hit you with that. <laughs> yeah. So, quote, Immortality is the sound of your name on the lips of someone who learned it from stories. When the rhapsodes come and sing of your deeds, you're immortal. You were immortal, meaning Achilles, long before you died. You'll be immortal long after. End quote. So, what does immortality mean to you? I That was a big thing that I was thinking about while I was writing this, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the idea that you, you can transcend your own mortality in many ways, even as, you know, a regular mortal person, if you write things that are still being read. Mm -hmm. If you create music that people are still listening to, if you say words that are still resonating in the mind of someone who heard them once long ago, whether you realize it or not, there are so many ways to keep on living and to keep your presence burning in this world. And I think people forget that sometimes. Mm. Like people are so desperate to be remembered for big things or heroic things that they forget that kindness can be just as valid that, you know, doing something that really touches someone can create a memory that is passed down that is held dearly by someone who maybe wasn't even born when that act was, you know, taking place. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I think as long as you are alive in someone's memory, as long as your words are being read or, or spoken or acted, I think that you are immortal. I think that you are, you've added meaning to the world and you continue to live in that way. 
Wow. Yeah, I, that was a, a great that. quote. Uh, I, I love that. That that that's definitely one of my favorite lines from the script, and I I think that really really stuck with me for sure as sort of going along with the overall theme of this. Um, so I guess in in a way, jumping off of that, so Iphigenia obviously goes into the underworld, maybe not exactly looking for something specific, but certainly looking for something. So, do you think she leaves the underworld after this, having gotten what she was looking for? I don't think she necessarily got what she was looking for, but I think she got what she needed, Mm. if that Mm. makes sense. Because I think, like, in my own mind, at least, she was hoping, you know, to see her mother or her father, someone who is now passed, who she wants to know if they're thinking of her, that she wants to know if any of their actions were as a result of something that she's done in her life, if they'd recognize her if they'd be happy to see her Mm -hmm. and she doesn't get that but she does get someone who remembers her in a way that is fond someone who is committed to telling her story who has told her story in the past even if it was you know (laughs) over drink somewhere after a long day of fighting in the trojan war or what have you (laughs) Mm -hmm. so i think it was important for her to one stand next to someone who she revered and see that they are human yeah, And also to know that something that she has done in her life has made a difference and that she has earned some immortality even beyond the actual immortality that she has earned. Right. Hmm. That's mm. great. Yeah. That is that is that is so good. I'm just soaking that in right now because that, that's that's incredible. And, and I love that. And while we could keep talking about this play for a very long time, that was our last question on it. So thank you for giving us great discussion along with that. But now yeah. we're going to ask some questions about you, Allie, if you're okay with that. Yeah, I'm okay with it. All righty, right. perfect. <laughs> all right, well, that's <laughs> that's all we need. Yeah. You're committed now. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, I mean, it's not going to be that crazy. Um, so we want to talk a little bit about your writing process since you mentioned it. Uh, you mentioned that you like to rewrite things a lot. So walk us through how your process specifically works from conceiving an idea to writing to staging to rewriting whatever that looks like well right now I'm really just trying to write every day no matter what that means or what that looks like or whether anybody's going to see it so like sometimes I have a project that's open and like I'm excited about it and I want to go into it and I want to add something or revise it so I'll read through it and I'll make some changes or I'll add to it but sometimes I don't have anything that I'm working on or that I'm interested in working on in that moment. So I have to start somewhere. And that's why I've been drawn to this um, 10 minute play format recently, because I feel like you can accomplish a lot in a shorter period of time. Mm -hmm. And the the constraints, the creative constraints are actually pretty cool where, you know, you need to have, you know, a minimum of characters and also you have this time constraint and this page constraint. So you need to kind of come up with something concise, but powerful and get it across so, like, you need to think of where to start. So I I try to find either writing prompts in my own mind. So, like, in this case, when I was writing this play, I was like, what if Iphigenia and Achilles met up at a party one day and they had to talk about what went down? So that's kind of where I started. But then I realized, obviously, that wouldn't work because Achilles is no longer living. <laughs> so that's how, that's how I landed on the underworld as a setting. But, like, usually I'll have a character first. Hmm. Not always especially now that I'm writing a lot for Zoom because mm-hmm. I'm really trying to think of the audience experience. Absolutely. When we, I'm writing. We as an audio podcast appreciate thing. that. So yeah. thank you. Because <laughs> basically at this moment, I'm doing a lot of writing, realizing that 
some of these pieces might get like the laziest, like lowest production value reading ever, and that might be their entire life. So I kind of have to write assuming that's the case, but be willing to accept, you know, <laughs> higher production values if the opportunity does present itself. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, and trying being... to keep it simple. Totally. Trying yeah. to give a lot of opportunities for, you know, the people who love to make theater to make choices about the text whether it's the actors or the directors or the producers, what have you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, there is real value in writing something that can stand on its own without, you know, crazy set, crazy costumes, whatever. Yes. And, you know, of course, something like this could have high production value. And, Absolutely. you know, we could really imagine what the underworld looks like and stuff like that. But at the same time, it can be done with something like this or something like a Zoom reading because it's so character-centric. So, yeah. 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 Um, I, I have a, a quick question for you, actually. Um, and just, just hearing you talk about writing and, and just in general and for you personally, um, it sounds like you love writing just to love writing. Is there is there a specific piece that you, like, want to write, like a magnum opus of sorts that you have in your sights that you either are working on or, or hope to work on one day? Or right now are you just sort of just loving writing itself and just hope to keep doing that? A little bit of both. Like, I definitely just want to keep writing and I want to keep improving and I'd really like to see a lot more pieces go to production. Mm-hmm. Like, my, my end goal is I would love to see a piece actually performed in, you know, a real brick-and-mortar theater because I've had, you know, lots of opportunities for, you know, Zoom productions or pre-filmed productions, but not so much in a physical theater space because none of us are in physical theater spaces right now. But like, if I get to the point where I have, you know, a body of work that I could present to someone and they might be able to mount that in an actual theater, that would be like the end goal. Hmm. But in terms of like the stories I want to tell, I have like a lot of drafts that are, (laughs) maybe they will never get finished. Maybe they will when I, you know, figure out what that next piece is in terms of like Greek mythology stories, which is not like my whole thing, but I would love to do, a Cassandra story because she's my favorite. Ooh, I love her. <laughs> yeah. She, I feel like there's a lot of story to tell in terms of how she is a foil to Iphigenia in a lot of ways and how she was basically gaslit by a god. And like, yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's a very relatable character, even in modernity. Like, a lot of women have been in a situation where someone, especially a male who had a lot of power, looked down at them and said, you know, nobody's going to believe you. Exactly. you know? so I feel like there's a story there. I just haven't quite found it yet. So I'm excited to eventually write that. Yeah. So for everyone listening, uh, Cassandra is the one who basically can predict all of these disasters, but her curse is that no one believes her. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So definitely, definitely rings true nowadays. You're, you're educating me, Lauren. So, so thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Allie is really doing it. <laughs> That's true. I, I'm getting educated by everyone today. Yeah. Um, so you talked about having a lot of drafts. Do you think there's a point where a script is truly finished? That's something I struggle with. Like, I tend to make edits up until, like, the 11th hour, and I know it drives people crazy. I'm trying to, like, finish something and keep it finished, but that's that's something I'm currently working on in my personal life. Sure, sure, sure. So I don't know if I've gotten to that point yet. At a certain point, like, it has to stand. Like, the production has to go up. It's opening night, you know? You can't mm-hmm. really tweak it anymore. Right. But I don't know. Like, every time I hear someone read a piece, like, there's always a moment where, like, hmm, that's not working. Got to tweak that next time. Or, yeah. like, oh, you know what would be interesting? Like, the way she said that, what if he said this instead? Like, it's just, <laughs> yeah. there's always something that can be changed. 
but at a certain point, you just need to stop, I think. Sure. Yeah. I well, I mean, you know, <laughs> even in like Broadway shows, they'll cut songs and add songs after the original production and stuff. So, you know, possibilities are endless. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so the following questions that we're going to ask you are kind of going to be basically sort of things that I went on your website, alicanto.com, I believe. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, sweet. So I did a little bit of research. Look at me. Um, so, so the following questions are sort of going to be things I uh, found from that. So on your website and even in this interview, you've talked about sort of the, the three pillars of you sort of being like an actor, a playwright, and an educator. And now I know mm-hmm. this is going to be like trying to rank your favorite children, but which one, like if you had to rank those three, which one do you love the most? Which one is your first love, etc.? How do they sort of play out in your mind? Oh, no. <laughs> I know. It, starting off with a mean one, really. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, man. That's really hard. Because the reason I'm drawn to education is because I feel like it's like a very humanist pursuit. It's if If you lead with, you know, relationships, then you're a better educator. Mm. So like, and that informs, you know, the playwriting and, you know, the writing of fiction. And then, you know, when you have these life experiences and you look at people complexly and you build empathy and you see the children and families in context, like it makes you a better actor. And like at a certain point, they're all kind of connected. Yeah. Am mm-hmm. I cheating? <laughs> <laughs> you're cheating in the best way possible. Yeah. So like that, good for you. <laughs> so I don't know if I could rank them, honestly. Can That's, I do all of them, please? <laughs> you know no, what? We'll let it slide this time. Allie, for you, we'll, we'll let it slide. We will. Oh, thanks. <laughs> of course. Yeah. So you also mentioned, and I know also mentioned to us, um, that you like to focus on women's stories, creating roles that you yourself would want to play. So talk about this, and why is it so important for women's stories to be told? I think there have been many, many years of many, many men telling many, many men's stories. <laughs> and I see it all the time where, like, there are women who want to audition for, you know, the lead, and the lead is the male, and, like, maybe they have that opportunity, but they shouldn't have to audition for the male lead to play a cool character. Like, there should be a cool female strong female lead character already written there so that they could be excited about that without having to, you know, feel like they're breaking the rules. Like, you shouldn't have to break the rules to be a cool woman. So I like to tell those stories because I want it to be a given that, you know, strong female character-driven stories are out there and they're worth telling and they're cool roles and nobody has to sacrifice anything to play Absolutely. Them. Yeah, and I really like the the idea that, you know, specifically in this play of sort of rewriting and reimagining those classics where mm-hmm. so often there just aren't any cool roles for women, you know? Yeah. So, and and yeah. I know Lauren and I have talked about this, but, you know, in just discussing, like, Shakespeare and, like, different roles we want to play, I know I have, like, a, a long list. I asked Lauren <laughs> about it and she's like, well, I mean, there, there aren't, like, a ton of great Female yeah, roles, you know, no, most of the Shakespeare long. roles I'd want to play are men. Yeah, you know, it would exactly. have to be like a gender mm-hmm. bent production. Yeah. So I, I, I love that. The fact that you, you are, you know, writing these stories with, with women at the center in mind. I think we definitely yeah. need more of that. Cause like you said, we, we've, we've had plenty of, of male stories so far. I yeah. Think. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we've covered just about all of them at this point. Um, but <laughs> exactly. Okay. So this one is really just a question for me. And I think this is actually technically our last question. But, so I saw on your resume that you were in a production of All in the Timing, 
And so yeah. was I. I actually, that was my first show in college that I was in. So talk about your experience, like which plays you were in, etc. Once again, I don't know if anyone is going to get this but me, but I'd love to hear you talk about it. <laughs> this is actually one of my favorite shows that I've ever oh been my in, in my life. So. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> it was so much fun. I was in three of the six pieces. Mm. So the first one I was in was... Philip Glass buys a loaf of bread. Oh, that one is so trippy, but I love it. I was in that one, too. I was Philip Glass in that one. I was uh, First Woman. Mm. And in that piece, I don't know if the roles actually mean very much, to be Ex- honest. Exactly. Inspired by a Philip Glass opera, but it, you know, plays to all the stereotypes. It's hilarious. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> it was very hard to learn. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but it was... It was so satisfying when yeah. we finally got it got through it the first time. Mm-hmm. It's all, you know, syncopated and choreographed. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. Insane. I was in Variations on the Death of Trotsky. Mm. I love that one. Yeah, I've seen that, that one good. a couple times. Um, just like at standalone, not in the whole, you know, six piece yeah. work. But yeah, that one is good. It's for so sure. good. Mm-hmm. And I was in, I can't even remember what the last one was called. It was the one with the, the time traveler in her apartment. Do you know? The, uh, the time traveler. Um, the is it's that one of the less performed ones? Oh, interesting. I don't know. Actually, we might not have I done that. I can't remember one. what it's called. Huh? But I was just the landlady yeah, in that one. Sure. Okay, think gotcha. of, um... I didn't have big stakes in that one. Sure. <laughs> yeah, because sure, sure, I know sure. that's not the universal language. That's not words, words, words. Right? Yeah. No. 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 Um, what was the other one that you were? I I in? I know what you're. T- I was trying to think of that one, but that's not it. That was like okay. the the date one. Okay. I, I can't remember which one that was in. Yeah, well, I don't know. that's really cool though. Yeah, no, I I love that show. For anyone out there listening who doesn't know what we're talking about, it's just uh, all of the timing is sort of a, a collection of short, roughly ten minute plays, uh, and they're all great, all super super well written. My production, personally, um, I was originally in three of the the plays, and once again, I was a, I was a first year in college, so obviously my first show, I was super pumped, and then one of our actors dropped out, and so I had to be added to another one. So I was in like four oh, out of wow. the six that we did. And it was, I don't know, it was just a really good experience. So I'm glad we sort of got to got to have that coming together moment. There you um, go. That, that was very nice. Um, Lauren, do you have any more questions for Allie? I do not. So if you want to reach out to Allie Cantor, uh, potentially produce this script, if you want to read anything else that she's done, her email will be in the description. So you can reach out to her there. Uh, yes. Oh, and Allie, do you have anything you want to plug? Anything like coming up in your life that you want to talk about? Sure. I don't have an exact date yet because it hasn't been set yet, but in either December of 2020 or January of 2021, um, Eastline Theater, which is a local theater to me, is producing, I call it full length, but it's probably like a long one act length, probably about an hour, uh, a new piece that I devised as part of a project called the Muse Anthology. And the working title for it is Adventures Anonymous. And it's basically a monologue play that's intended to be performed on Zoom. Uh, five characters who are all part of the same Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Five oh. women, I should say. We love Dungeons and Dragons. And, oh my um, goodness, that's incredible. And they are based in a sober living community. So it kind of subverts the idea of the hero's journey. Yeah. But instead of a big epic, it's the smallest epic I could think of. So it's like five very distinct stories from women who have experienced, you know, a lot in their lives, a lot of trauma. And it kind of, it's revealing which character they choose to make as their first character and sort of the adventure they go on as they go on this little adventure. And 
should be very cool. That <laughs> oh is so goodness. cool. Yeah, yeah, we we are a Dungeons and Dragons house. So yes, we are. Yeah, so, definitely reach out and let us know when that's happening because we would love to check that out too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well. That is Ali Cantor, everyone, and that is going to be all for us. So, Ali, thank you once again for coming on. We had a great time in this interview, and we hope you did as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Yep, absolutely. All, all right. right. Have a good one. Have a great Sunday. Bye-bye. <laughs>